0: As we continue our study, their 41st installment here in Simply the Savior, we now turn our attentions to the parable of Jesus. And Jesus gives seven here in Matthew's Gospel, but there are more, and we'll take care of all of them as we study through them. But tonight we begin with the parable of the sower, and it's really going to be the first of two parts. And remember that these stories, as we saw last Sunday night, earthly stories, heavenly meaning and as jesus begins to use these very common things be like for those of us in the south bay i could say to you the kingdom of god is like the harbor freeway at rush hour and you all would go okay i've got your attention right now well how's it well there are many people who go on it and few of them move very far You know, we we could kind of see how that would get our attention in our day and time. But you see, that would lock it into this century. And so the Lord Jesus used a much broader way of communicating, something that would be timeless, something that would retain the treasure of the truth. And so he began with this parable of the sower. And it's something that even today we can understand very, very carefully because someone who's a sower, probably most of you in in grade school at some point in time remember the story of Johnny Appleseed. Uh, And he was a sower and he wandered through the west uh, with the seed sack slung over his shoulder, scattering apple seeds all over. And so hence, the story goes, the reason that you can find wild apple trees Uh, Virtually all over the United States, just in arbitrary places. It's like with Johnny Appleseed here. We can think in those terms, and they actually help us retain truth. When you tell stories to your children, you may tell them something that we would call uh, a parabolic teaching. You may tell them an analogous thing. You might give them some sort of uh, truth that they can hang on to in a way, and you kind of explain it, and that's similar. But this is very specific. Because Jesus is going to be speaking parables of the kingdom. And so he begins uh, by taking this, this flock of sheep, this group of people, down to the cove of the sower. And when you travel to Israel, which we'll be doing here in a few months, uh, in this photograph that you're looking at, dead in the center, that high spot up there, is actually the Mount of the Beatitudes. On top of that, there's a little chapel. And so you can see uh, in this picture that the distance between these two places is very close. And then from there over to Capernaum, which is Jesus' hometown, uh, is less than a half a mile. So it's really only a 10 or a 15, 20, maybe a half hour leisurely stroll uh, over to Jesus' town that he spent most of his time on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so When we pick up this story now, as we're going to turn our attention to Matthew chapter 13, these are not long distances. They're things that you and I would call walking around the hood. You know, I'm going to go a couple streets over. I'm going from 250th to 254th. It's that kind of a stroll, it's not very far. It would be something that you would do very easily every day. You might go up on top of the hill and catch a a view of the sunrise over the Jordan River Valley and watch the sun transit across the valley and and set over in the western side of of what is now national Israel. But, But for them, this would be a very normal thing. People walked everywhere. Uh, generally they didn't ride animals if they had a donkey maybe occasionally a woman might be put upon that animal but more than likely it'd be used to carry goods or product or services and so Jesus is now going to you can see not go very far it'd be someplace to be easy to find him now bear in mind that the multitude has gotten accustomed to listening to Jesus's teaching and so he's a big deal He's kind of like we would say, well, I'm going to the movies, you know. I'm going to go see some form of entertainment. This is the thing that they would do. And it was very common during that day and time for great philosophers, great teachers to gather themselves in audience. And they would sit down um, very often at the town gate or the city gate, maybe on a rock someplace, and they would begin to spin their tale, tell their story. And because there were not computers and smartphones, there, there was no television, uh, there were no newspapers. You didn't go down and get the Capernaum Daily Breeze. You know, it didn't didn't work that way. They would simply get most of their information orally. So when someone would speak, they were used to listening with very great attention, with rapt attention, we would call it, to this, this story that's being woven as a part of the fabric of their daily lives. And so this is something that happened on a very regular and a consistent basis, And people would gather to themselves their favorite teachers. And so, you know, Jesus would be over here. And, you know, maybe a guy named Matthias would be three rocks over sitting on. And he'd have his little group. And then Nathaniel would have his And remember, at this time, it's a Jewish society, so men normally spoke to men, and very rarely did a lady get engaged in the conversation. And so these things would happen when a multitude would gather. This was a huge deal, because now it's attracting men and women. And so the husbands are telling Honey, you got to come listen to this guy. This is unbelievable. He has spoken like no man has ever spoken before. And so Jesus begins... By moving from this place on the mountaintop down near the sea. And we pick up Jesus after he's spent some time. He's going to come from his town. Notice that it's going to say in verse 1 of Matthew 13. And on the same day, speaking of the day that Jesus had previously worked healing some people. Not of the day that we just left with him on the Mount of Beatitudes. But it's in the same general location. He's going to leave out of the house which is in Capernaum. Very short distance away. So you can see how he spent a lot of time in this very tiny region on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Didn't go more than a half mile mile or so away. He might have gone to Tabitha and spent some time there. That would have been the next village over. And that Roman toll road right there along the edge of the sea. And so Jesus comes to this place, which if you travel to Israel today, is called the Cove of the Sower. And so Jesus is now going to again gather a multitude. There have been all kinds of sound studies done throughout the last 50 years or so of putting someone in a boat, allowing them to be out on the water just 100 feet off the shore, and that water surface would act much like a natural amphitheater. The sound would bounce off the water, and there have been some studies done that as many as 10,000 people could have gathered there on that hillside and heard Jesus speaking in a plain plain voice because they would have been listening. And so let's join him now as he begins to speak the parables. And let's pray and ask God to speak to us tonight here in this place. Father, again we are so grateful that you have blessed us so richly. Thank you for the teaching today from our brother Chat, just setting so marvelously the stage because we also want to be living parables and we want to know what it is uh, to be a living parable and so these things that you instructed the multitudes in lord help to uh, instruct us tonight so that we might know your perfect plan and purpose for our lives we bless you we praise you we ask all these things in christ's name amen verse 1 matthew 13 and we'll take the first 16 verses tonight We'll expound on the second part of it next week. And on that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And so when they say the sea, they're speaking of the Sea of Galilee, the Gennesaret, uh, that that lake that's there in, in central Israel today, the Jordan River, comes into one end and flows out the other. It's not a sea by any shake of the imagination. It'd be easier for you to think about it. Uh, much like we would say Lake Tahoe or maybe the Salton Sea. The Salton Sea is actually in the same exact type of environment uh, as the Sea of Galilee. And so if you've ever traveled by the Salton Sea and you look across it, you can see there's pretty much a desert on both sides. Uh, That would have been the picture in that day and time. But around the sea, because it's a freshwater lake, all kinds of vegetation, great place for people to live. And so you had the seashore clustered with all these homes and Many little villages that people could simply walk to and trade back and forth. And, and so he went out of the house, his house in Capernaum, and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him. And notice that's a very subtle difference. To him. They, they flocked to him. There was something attractive about what Jesus was doing. He gathered to himself a multitude. It was what he preached. It's how he preached it. It's what he said and how he said it. And so Jesus begun, has begun to unfold these truths of the kingdom to this multitude that has now become accustomed to Jesus going about on the hillsides. He's become rather an outdoorsman. And remember the first part of his ministry? He, he mostly worked inside of buildings, and now he's moved outside because the crowds are too large. As he heals a blind Bartimaeus, there, there are all these little stories where you see he's inside, now he's gone outside. And so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And so Jesus is now in a boat. He's doing what a traditional Jewish rabbi would do. He is going to sit while he teaches. That's the normal position of teaching for a Jewish rabbi. He would sit down. And so then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying... So he's going to now elaborate and explained to them the parables of the kingdom. And behold, a sower went out to sow. And now look at that photo. And and today there are some orchards on those hillsides, but in those days and times... You you wouldn't irrigate very far away from a given river body or a lake. You could only irrigate very close to it. So naturally, fields that would be planted would be planted near the shore of a body of water. They could then siphon some of that water off through canals and ditches or perhaps a simple water wheel which was brought from the Egyptians. Remember, they used them... Uh, some 2,000 years earlier. And so as they would work those hand-moved or perhaps oxen-moved water wheels, it would simply move water up into a trough. That trough would put it into a ditch and then it could flow out by gravity into a field. So very often around a lake or around a river, there would be fields. And so it is natural to see at that time, you can almost see Jesus just going like Nathaniel right over there, sowing his seed. You can see him using the situation to begin this tale. And you see, sowers always go out to sow. That's what sowers do. Everyone would know that. They would have looked at it and go, well, of course, yeah, that's what a sower does. A sower goes out to sow. What does the sower have? The sower's got seed. What does he do with it? He's trying to spread it out so that it can grow. He wants a crop to come in. So Jesus is garnering their attention by bringing them into the situation so that as they hear these words, they're going, okay, what's this all about? we see Nathaniel over there. Yeah, he's a sower and he's sowing, but what's that got to do with anything? Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. You should know what a wayside is. A wayside would be a pathway. It was the way on the side of a field. It was a place that was generally considered uh, not good to plant anything. We would call them walkways. We now cover them with concrete. You can even use that if you'd like as as the analogy. It was a place that was so hard because people had trodden on it. There was no chance that anything was going to stick in that soil. It was the wayside. And so the sower begins by traveling on the wayside. And as you're broadcasting seeds, you you see, he he didn't take one seed and and put one seed here and then one seed there and one seed over here. He broadcast, he would take a handful of seed, would, would have been gathered from the previous year's crop. He would have taken that hand and they would scatter it. And so a sower, and the picture is someone who broadcasted seed, a sower sowed. And as he sowed, he would get to the edge of the field, because you want to use every bit of good soil. You want everything that's irrigated. You want to make sure you get seed on everything that might potentially grow. And in that sense, as he wanted a good crop, some of the seed actually landed on the wayside, on the walkway, on a place that he actually didn't intend, but it got there anyway. Because there are people who hear the gospel even though they did not intend to hear it. Maybe they're listening to your conversation at work while you're talking with that Christian friend. You're sitting at the lunch table sowing seed. And there on the wayside, on that hard ground of the table next to you, that person who professes to be an agnostic Too smart for their own good, supposedly. Doesn't really want to hear, but hears anyway. And so the sower sows and some ends up on the pathway beside the field and the birds came and devoured them. There's no chance that seed's getting in the ground because that heart is so hard, there's no room for it to ever take root. And so the sower sows that seed. And even though he doesn't intend for it to even go there, it gets sown anyway, nonetheless. And some fell on the stony places where they did not have much earth. And so you can see how this unfolds as Jesus simply recounts a truth about the kingdom. Now listen to how fantastically he puts forth this truth. And some fell in the stony places where they did not have much earth, and you can see it right there on the edge of the field, right next to the pathway, right next to the last place the water gets in the gravity irrigation, right next to the place where there's almost, it's so hard that there's no way it's getting in, but right there, right next to that, some seed went there too. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, wasn't a lot of water out there at the edge of the field. Wasn't a lot of dirt out there at the edge of the field. There was very little chance because there was not really an intentional desire for anything to grow there. because they had no root, and they withered away. It's kind of like those weeds that grow up in the cracks of your driveway, right? Except those things go out the other side of the earth, don't they? But you can get the picture. There's nothing. You know how you get a little dirt in the crack in your driveway? You, you sweep your driveway, you know, because we're not allowed to actually touch it with water anymore. It's like the water Nazis will come. You use your hose on your driveway. But you know that dirt that's in there? You let one seed get in there that puppy will grow but that's only about that deep and so big weed then the summer heat comes dead as a doornail you can get the picture you see they had no root they withered away and some fell among the thorns Just like we have today, you got to till the soil, you got to prep the soil, you got to pull the weeds. And if you forget to do all those things, or maybe you neglect the field, you'll allow some junk to grow in your yard. God forbid that you get a single dandelion that begins to multiply. Those things begin to happen. It falls amongst the thorns. And the thorns themselves sprung up. Now notice this is an external thing that happens to actually choke out the seed but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop some a hundredfold some sixty some thirty he who has ears let him hear and then the verse that we already looked at last time that we'll get to actually next week as we look at the explanation that Jesus gives and the disciples came and said to him why do you speak to them in parables and so Jesus begins to unfold the first of these marvelous parables. And he begins with a place. And that place is the seashore. That same day, Jesus' mother, if you go back to chapter 12, Jesus' mother, his brothers came looking for him. And I personally happen to think what was going on is they were trying to talk sense into Jesus. Jesus has now drawn a crowd and people are... You know, beginning to talk. And as they talk, no doubt it got back to the Roman rulers. And we certainly see this play out in Jesus' life. And so here comes mom and the brothers. Jesus, you got to shut your trap. No more talking about this kingdom stuff. You got to quit. People are getting upset. Don't do it. And yet the crowds grow. Mom gets in, even mom can't talk sense into Jesus, or so she thinks. Because Jesus is on a mission. What mom and the, the brothers are trying to do, albeit noble, they think they're doing something great. They think they're doing something grand. They think they're doing something even necessary. We, got, i got to save my son, he's being a knucklehead. I remember when I told my dad that Connie and I were going to Austria that we believed God had just called us to go to the mission field, and he's like, Mission field? He wasn't saved at the time. The what, huh? You're gonna, you, do you have a job? No, I don't have a job. It's like, right. I got to save my son. He's got to do something crazy. Got to go serve Jesus. You see, to someone who doesn't know the Lord, heavenly things don't make any sense. People think you're loopy. There's not a lot going on up there. No doubt, Jesus' mom and the brothers thought that about Jesus. Yeah, that's my son. He's got a Messiah complex. You you you, You know how parents are. You can almost see that. Remember, She needed a savior too. In in spite of some aberrant teaching that Mary was immaculate throughout her life, that was simply not the case, and we know that from the gospel. She she had some issues. Jesus had healed all kinds of people, unnamed diseases. He'd explained the character of the Messiah. He, He had healed the blind demoniac. He had charged the unbelieving Pharisees in the previous chapter. He would cast out, you know, the, the Pharisees come. Man, you're casting out demons by Beelzebub. So this was a big thing. Yeah, let's go see what Jesus is going to say next. You know, Mary's crazy son. You, you can almost see some of them purely for the entertainment value following Jesus. Now you can kind of see why he's saying, and some fell by the wayside. Some people came hoping that there was going to be this kind of fracas that was going to break out. You know, well, maybe somebody will go nuts. They'll go ballistic on Jesus. He'll say something, and the people will go crazy. Could have been the beginnings of MMA. It's like, yeah, Jesus went after the Pharisees. Man, they just bam, you know, I think they were really waiting for something like that to happen. And Jesus just keeps sharing truth on top of truth on top of truth. And before you know it, they're going, well, okay, that makes sense. And so they gather by the seashore. Jesus, the outdoorsman, you're going to see him throughout these parables on the seashore, on a mountainside, in the countryside, on the highways and on the streets. He's actually now going where all the people are. He's intentionally getting the message into a very, very public venue. You know, sometimes when you share one-on-one, that's the the least threatening environment. It may be actually the hardest thing to do, but it's the least threatening because you've only got one person to deal with. But when you start speaking these things to multitudes, they're like, what did he say? Nah, that's not true. And you got, you know, you got Bob over here talking to Sam, and Sam's talking to Mary, and Mary's talking to Susie, and they're all just going back and forth. It's like, oh, I can't believe he said that. No doubt that happened with Jesus. People are having their little moments, trying to get their word out. Very common for people to do that, and now we see the great multitudes are gathering together to him because they had that fascination of hearing him speak. And so he gets into the boat. He's pushed out away from the shore. And whether that's because the crowds are pushing in or because he's literally getting out a little further so more people can gather in the closer to the water, the easier it would have been for him to speak. And so they begin to hear from this rabbi. And remember, the word rabbi simply means teacher. So when you hear that word, when someone is called in in the Jewish culture, the Jewish faith, when someone's called a rabbi, a rabboni, they're saying, teacher, teach us, go ahead, speak, your students are listening. And so first we see the place, the next thing we see is the plan. And so what was Jesus' plan? It was to speak to them in parables. And the word parable comes from actually two Greek words. It is balo, which means to lay alongside of, and para, para balo. And what that means is you take something uh, that is alongside of, to lay alongside of, and and to make it to be thrown or to place. So you place or throw something alongside of. That's what it means. And so in this sense, it's truths. And you lay them alongside of one another. Or a story, and you lay it alongside of a truth. Or a principle, and you put it next to something that you believe to be a truth. Truth. And so Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out to sow. And so the picture is the kingdom of God is like, here's what's laid alongside of it, a sower with a sack of seed. And that sower does what a sower does, which is to broadcast seed. And so he's saying the kingdom of God is like that. Here it is laid alongside of it. So the kingdom of God, which is in you, is like a sower that goes out to sow seed, which is what a sower does. You see how Jesus could have easily caused everyone to listen, whether they wanted to believe or not. They're being forced because he's laying something alongside of something that is clearly truth. Sowers sow. That's the truth. It's what they do. You see, you're forced to decide which of the two roads you're on as he spoke to them on the mountain, he said to them, there are two roads, one that's narrow and one that's broad. There are two gates, one that's narrow, one that's broad. There are two ways. But there's only one that leads to righteousness and few there are who find it. And so he says, look, that's the way the kingdom is. The sower sows seed. God does that universally. No one will ever perish and spend eternity apart from God for any other reason than they chose not to let the seed grow. Whether that happens by the Holy Spirit in some moment in a person's life, whether they're in some area that's never had the gospel preached... If God's not capable of preaching the gospel to every living, breathing thing, then he has desired something that he says is his desire for all men. He desires that all men come to repentance. Amen? That means to be saved, by the way. And if he desires something and does nothing about it, he is now capricious, unfair, and unkind, and unloving, and unjust. And so the sower sows. Whether that's by the words of your mouth, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God... Whether God speaks that to somebody in the quietness of their heart. Whether they dream dreams like it's going on right now in in all of the Middle East. There's this crazy thing happening. People are actually saying, I saw Jesus in a dream and he spoke to me about the kingdom. God can do that. Sower sows. He's always sowed because he desires that all men come to the knowledge of repentance, to be saved. And so he lays alongside something that was well-known, well-understood, could be elucidated, even to the unknown, to the unknowing, because it would be so simple that they would look at it and go, Oh, a sower, right there. Now I get it. A divine truth. And so Jesus speaks this way by taking something that's easy to apply to life so that you lay hold of it. You see, I can tell you that most of you hearing this tonight will probably not ever forget what the sower does. He sows seed. If the sower is God and the seed is the gospel, the sower is sowing the universal seed of the gospel. And it lands on four different kinds of hearts, right? You can see them here. Four different ways that that same seed from that same sack, the one seed, the one plant, the one gospel, the one narrow way, the one narrow gate, the wheat and not the tare, the sheep and not the goat. You see, Jesus made it very clear. Sower sowing seed. But there's four different ways that it can find the earth. And so the parable, and he says, "...and saying, Behold, that sower went out So the first type of ground. He's broadcasting the seed by hands. impossible to control the accuracy. The wind would come up. It would gust, and some seeds are bound to fall." Actually beside the road, beside the path, beside the field, outside of the water, away from what is tilled, in places that are very hard. You ever sowed any seed of the gospel to places that are very, very, very hard? I have. I've had people call me some pretty vile things. Tell me what to do with Jesus. It's landed in some really, really hard places. Even while not intending, I've had that happen on plane flights. I'm flying to, down to Brazil or, you know, someplace in the country and I'm, I'm sharing. I usually try and share with people who are sitting next to me, especially when I'm traveling alone. It helps relieve the boredom and the fact that my legs are going to fall off. And so I'll share, you know, where are you going? What are you doing? They'll always say, well, what are you? I'm a pastor. And you, you see the look on their face. Oh, dear God, I did not just ask a pastor what he does. You know, and I I will share with them, and they'll, you know, I'll usually ask them, do you go to church? And very often, I used to. And then they'll start to explain to me why they don't believe, as if they owe me an explanation. And I'll usually say, just so you know, I'm not God, and I don't keep count. You you see, you can see that hard ground. It doesn't want to hear the gospel. It does not want... It's just accidental. They got row 37, seat B, and I had A. Beside the walkway, the traveled place. Luke's gospel tells us there in chapter 8 and verse 5 that it was actually trampled underfoot, squashed. And so the birds, and the birds are always a picture of evil. Satan, his plans. The birds came and snatched it up. Evolution came along and snatched it up. Darwinian evolution came and snatched up that seed. A worldview that says there is no creator came along and snatched that seed up right off the path. And it happens in college. Some hard hearts, some hard ground. There's some tremendous God-honoring, Christ-loving professors that work in that environment tell you the same thing. There's seed that's being sown, but the ground is hard and the enemy comes with a lie and that seed, it doesn't even get a chance to grow. It's snatched up. First type of ground, the second type of ground, the second type of soil. The first one, it's, it's a heart that's as hard as concrete. Man, that seed bounces when it hits that. The second type, some of that seed fell in the rocky places where it did not have much soil. And, and rocky here doesn't refer, by the way, what's being said here, the word that's used in the original language, is not just rocks in dirt, it's underlying bedrock. In other words, a little bit of soil, there is a place for it to grow, but not much. And so some of it falls there. That's the edge of the field. You know, like when you're planting in around your house, when they pour the foundation, there's always overpour from the foundation. And it usually goes out 18 inches or so from your house. And when you're sitting there and you're, you're trying to get irrigation around your house and you're setting up a lawn, there's like this much dirt. There's an inch of dirt over the top of that concrete. It's like that place. And so here comes the sower sowing seed and some of it falls in that place where there's just not much soil. There's very little chance that there's going to be any roots that will give it some depth. And so what happens is there's enough for it to germinate, there's enough for it to make a plant, there's enough for it to, to begin to grow, but there's no place for any depth No roots take place. You know some people like that, don't you, in your life? People that have heard the good news of the gospel, but their life is so full of other things and it's underneath it is very hard. There's not much soil. And so as a sower sows seed, it kind of pops up for a moment. They come to church and they may even have a religious experience. They might possibly... Raise a hand in praise. Maybe a tear falls from their cheek. There's something that happens. They're stimulated, and in some way, you begin to see oh, maybe they might have a relationship with the Lord. But there's not enough soil, so the roots can't go down. And the first time the sun comes up, they're done. It's over. Their life is lived on the surface. They are shallow. They're distracted of heart. A third type of soil. And some of those seeds fell on that which was infested with thorns. The passage says, Jesus is speaking. And again, go back to what he's saying. The sower's just doing what the sower does. And the seed's going everywhere. And he's casting it and broadcasting it. He's trying to be careful. And he wants to go where it should go. But it's somehow going where even... it isn't going to really grow and it's going to places where it's less than optimum to grow. And then he says in some places where he didn't do all the prep work, you have those people in your life. People that have never really heard the gospel. People whose lives are filled with competing philosophy, ways of thinking, you know them. There's weeds in their life. There's thorns in their life. Maybe they've even had religious experience. They've had religion, but they've never had relationship. And so the gospel is cast into that person's life, this third type of ground. But there's no room for the real truth, for there is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. But at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, they don't have any room for that truth. There's weeds. Well, I don't know how I reconcile that with science. I don't know how I reconcile that with the fact that there's war. How many people have ever heard that? Well, if God's so good, why is there war? How come we have racial injustice if there's a just God? How come there's inequity? How come there's income, inequality? Can you see it? Can you see what Jesus was doing by broadcasting this seed? And he begins to tell them, look, there's people whose lives are so choked out with other things, other philosophical bents, other ways of understanding that there's no room for that gospel to ever grow into anything meaningful. Their life is full of weeds. And then the fourth type of soil, and on some of that, the seeds fell on good soil. It falls in that place that's been tilled and prepared and prepped. And readied and the rocks pulled out and the thorns are gone and nobody stomped on it. If you've ever hand laid a lawn at your house, you go through this process of tilling up the soil and you get the road and you're going like this, you know, and then you pull out all the rocks and then you rake it and then you do it again, you try and get all the junk out of it, the old weeds, you've done all those things, and now you've got this you look at it, it's like holy dirt. And you throw your grass seed out there and you get your topper, but you don't want anybody walking on it after that. You don't want it to get hard because then it becomes like the pathway. And so you keep everybody away. Do you see that type of soil is ready for the seed? You don't have to do anything. You just toss the seed out there, poof, come right up. You see, it's good soil, it's prepared soil, it's soil that's ready to receive the seed. And so Jesus says to those who are listening after giving him these four types of the human heart and that's this first part of this parable, Jesus is exposing the condition of every person's heart that's ever walked on this planet because in one of these four categories you will find everyone. Hard, shallow, choked out, or ready. Every human being will fit into one of those categories. They might be the semi-choked out hard, but they're still parts of all of them or one of them alone. How many people are actually fully good soil? I know I wasn't fully good soil. I had some partial choking weeds in there. I had just enough college to understand that we came from monkeys. I was sure of it. Goo to you, that's what I knew. I kind of skipped the part about chemical evolution. Never really thought that far into it. Then I got to thinking, how do those chemicals float around in empty space and somehow come to know one another intimately and create proteins and amino acids and complex carbohydrates and then cellular life forms and, oh, yeah, by the way, imprint their own DNA. I started thinking, those rotten people in college, they deceived me. There were some weeds. Then I started thinking about it. You know what? Now that I think about it, that's actually Impossible. Chemicals don't organize themselves. They have no way of storing information, which is what DNA is, by the way. Information always has to come from an outside source, it doesn't manufacture itself. That's a pretty timeless story, isn't it? Look at the types of weeds we have in our culture today, they're still growing. And so Jesus speaks of the weeds. And then he gives us, as we close, this first part of this study, the purpose. And he says to reveal and to conceal. He's really saying to them, look, these things, this knowledge that you have, because it's been given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11 says, he says, well, it's been given to you to actually know it want you to know it, but it doesn't happen unless you want it to. Nobody ever stumbles into the kingdom. And so as you think on this first half, here's the good news about this particular parable. Jesus actually interprets it for us. And we'll get to the second half next week. But as you think on that, think of those four types of soil. Do you know someone whose life is so packed down? and so hard that you scatter the seed and all that happens is the satanic forces of this world come by and snatch it away? Do you know somebody? Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're the person whose soil of their life ready to receive the seed is so shallow that the gospel can't grow. There's nothing for it to germinate into any kind of depth to where it will withstand what's going to happen to you in your life. Maybe you're the person that was like me when I was a teenager. Uh, I went through a bout of it when I was in my late teens and early 20s. That, that There's this competing thought process, this competing philosophical view, this competing perhaps even scientific view that says, well, the gospel can't be correct because of all these other things. And you could add all kinds of reasons for the weeds that are in your life choking it out. Perhaps you're the person tonight that's heard this message and your soil is good. Jesus is going to go on and explain to us what that means. You see, that soil, it's ready. And when you hear that gospel, when the seed is cast, you're that person like those who responded today, you can't do anything but. Because the ground's been prepped, it's been readied. There's been water, the fertilizer's been thrown on there. You, 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 you're ready to grow. And then the gospel comes and you go, that's what I've been waiting for. If that's you tonight, we're going to have some pastors come forward. We're going to have the worship team come back up. We're going to worship for a little bit of time. Maybe you've gone through a period in your own life to where you've kind of vacillated you start you thought the soil was good and then all of a sudden it got full of weeds cuz that can happen too you thought the soil was good and maybe it really wasn't very deep that can happen or even people probably here tonight that you think remember Jesus said we've already seen him we've heard him say Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not done great and mighty things in your name? And he will say to them, depart, for I have never known you. I've never had an intimate relationship with you. You see, you can even be over here to where you think you're good soil and actually you're over here as a hard path because you're in it for the wrong reason. Some of those people, I I, I like to use the phrase, they they think they have fire insurance. You know, well, I kind of want a savior because I sure don't want to go to hell, but I actually don't like this whole being obedient thing. That's hard ground. At the worst, maybe it's stony ground, maybe it's thorny ground. It's not good soil. But that's you. We're going to have some pastors up front. Square that away. Ask God to till up that soil of your heart. Ask God to pull the weeds. Weed pulling is not a fun thing, by the way. Rock tilling is not a good thing, by the way. It's painful. When you have hard places in your life, you can be sure if Jesus has got to get out the dynamite, he'll do it. If he needs to go get a D10D, with a ripper blade on the back of it and tear up your stony ground, he'll do it. But it's a whole lot better if you just say, hey, could you pull the rocks out of my life? Let God do that. Let God do that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you tonight for your goodness for your blessings, for your love, for your care, for your concern, for the way that you move in our lives. And I want to pray tonight as the pastors come forward, the prayer team comes forward. God, maybe someone here tonight, like me, Lord, I had weeds in my life. There were some big, huge weeds growing in my field. And you wanted to pluck them out. Maybe there's someone here tonight that's like that. God, would you help them? Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight, their ground of their life, their heart, is like that path. There's no room for you. It's too hard. God, would you till up that hard ground? Lord, maybe there's someone that's very shallow. It's a little bit of soil, but it's not much. Would you blast that rock out? And put in some nice beautiful topsoil and Lord for those that tonight have that good soil and you're growing that gospel has done its work and they're prospering God would you encourage and strengthen Heavenly Father we thank you for your love for us and we continue to be amazed by your grace and so Lord as we spend some time worshiping you we pray that you'd meet us in this place take our needs Speak to them as we offer ourselves to you again. Living sacrifice is holy and acceptable. Lord, it's just our reasonable service. In light of what Jesus has done, Lord, we give our lives back to you. We bless you. Thank you for being that constant sower that sows seed. May our hearts be receptive to your truth. We ask it in Christ's name. And God's people all said, amen. Why don't you stand?